what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness that we should look at him, and no, be- and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when he makes himself an offering for sin.
Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain one and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he sat at table with the twelve disciples, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man had he not been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Is it I, Master? He said to him, You have said so. they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I shall not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, thy will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. 
See, my betrayer is at hand. Speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I shall kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Hail, Master. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, why are you here? And then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he made no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer to him, not even to a single charge, so that the governor wondered greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, His wife sent word to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much over him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. 
And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. And then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him up to be crucified. of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him and plating a crown of thorns they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him they mocked him saying hail king of the Jews 
And they spat upon him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. When they came to the place which is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
what began as a miracle would end as a miracle with each miracle in his life manifesting the divine identity of the one that we call Jesus, indeed our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the miracles in his life manifesting his deity to others. His conception in Nazareth had been a miracle because there a simple virgin had conceived. His birth in Bethlehem was surrounded by the miraculous, by a miraculous angelic choir that sang to frighten shepherds in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And wise men were led from afar by a miraculous star. He changed water into wine, and he healed a nobleman's son at Cana. And then at Capernaum, he filled fishermen's nets with a miraculous drought of fish, and he healed a demoniac and a paralytic and a servant of the centurion, and he gave two blind men their sight, and he healed a centurion servant as well, raised a girl from the dead, all of those things happening at Capernaum. So the scripture would say, how blessed are you, Capernaum. He stilled a storm and even walked on water in the Sea of Galilee. He fed 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two fish. He did that at Bethsaida and then he did it again with 4,000 at Decapolis. He healed a crippled woman and a man with dropsy at Perea. He raised Lazarus from the dead at Bethany. He healed 10 lepers near the border of Samaria and Galilee. And there was blind Bartimaeus at Jericho and he then also restored the severed ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest at a garden called Gethsemane. And after all of that, and all of those miracles, what is it that St. John says toward the end of his gospel? He says, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then only a chapter later, his gospel ends with what nearly is an echo of the same thing that he had just said. And he writes, and there are also many other things that Jesus did which were not written in this book, but if they were written one by one, I suppose, he says that even the world itself could not contain the book that would be written. Throughout his Life, a marvelous myriad of miracles manifesting the divine identity of Jesus as the Son of God. The Word had become flesh and had dwelt among the peoples. He came to his own, the same Saint John says, and performed all of these phenomenal miracles, and yet his own received him not. And so also in the hours of his death, though he was suspended upon a cross, between earth and heaven. Miracles were still happening that were crying out, this is the Son of God. Miracles crying out by God himself and by nature saying, you have crucified the Son of God. After his last word, which we'll soon hear, Jesus, it said, yielded up his spirit. And then behold, it says, and note the miracles yet happening even in his dying the veil of the temple, it says, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. The graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. 
Those are the things that we might call the, the miracles of Calvary. The first, the rending of that holy veil in the temple at Jerusalem. Just imagine the size of that veil. It was made of blue and purple and scarlet and fine-lined and twined linen. It was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, the, the width of a man's hand. It took 300 priests to be able to handle this mammoth veil that was there, to lift it. And when it was up behind it was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat rested. And here God had his dwelling among the people. And access to it had always been closed to all but the high priest who would enter it but once a year at the great festival of the atonement. The great veil testifying unmistakably through the ages to the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have laid and hid his face from you. That great veil, that veil of his holiness, that veil of separation. But here as Jesus dies on the cross of Calvary, the temple veil is rent in twain, scripture tells us, torn in two by God himself, split in two from top to bottom, by the finger of God Almighty, heaven declaring that by this death upon the cross, this singular death, access is now granted and gained to God for the sinner through the blood of his only begotten Son. That torn temple curtain, a symbol of grace and a symbol of judgment, grace toward the sinner who now has access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, judgment to the temple, which that very day was forsaken by God and within four decades would become indeed a temple of doom and of ruin. Well, if the first miracle of Calvary occurred in the temple with that curtain, the second and the third miracles of Calvary occurred outside of the temple in the realm of nature. The earth did quake, scripture says, and the rocks were rent apart even as the sun had hidden its face in shame at the impending death of the Son of God and darkness had covered the face of the whole earth, at noon so now the earth herself joins the sky and it cries forth. And the ground trembles, sobbing as it were, so hard that stones covering the entrances to the rock-hewn tombs fall and they break. And scripture says that dead saints arose from their graves and they'd make their way into the city and they'd appear later on to many. What an indelible impression was made upon the minds of those who had not already hardened themselves against the truth that this was indeed the Son of God, so greatly impressed by these miracles of Calvary that even Roman soldiers and Jews alike were seized with fear, their hearts filled with misgivings about what they had just done, and they gathered about the cross, and seeing what had happened, St. Luke tells us that they Many of them beat their breasts as they thought about what they had done. They beat their breasts as evidence of their remorse in fear of divine retribution. Indeed, a miracle at Calvary. There's another miracle at Calvary that occurred, a miracle regarding the body of our Lord. The Romans usually, you know, left the bodies of the crucified unprotected. They just leave them there upon the cross unprotected and uncared for, for the birds and for the prey and for the dogs. 
they decompose and they become the prey of vultures and beasts. But God the Father would not have that for the body of his Son. It would not remain on the cross, but it must be buried as the scriptures had foretold when Isaiah long before had said, we heard it tonight, they made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, and unwittingly even the Jews would become a part of this miracle at Calvary for their law required that the executed be buried before sundown. And in this instance there was the added consideration that the next day was the Sabbath day. And therefore St. John tells us, quote, the Jews came to Pilate with a request that the legs of the crucified be broken, to rush up the death and that they be led away before sunset would come and the new day would begin. You know how they crushed men's legs back then in the cross? By means of what was called a cudgel. They'd bludgeon the legs, short heavy club, in order that the death might be hastened so that they could do away with the bodies before the sun would set. The two thieves were treated in this manner, but when they came to do it to Jesus, they didn't do it because he was already dead. And yet to prevent any possibility of uncertainty in the matter, what did they do? A soldier takes his spear, he pierces into the side of Jesus with the spear. And thus another miracle at Calvary takes place, unwittingly again, fulfilling a prophecy of scripture that had been told of old that said, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And from the wound of Jesus, scripture tells us came forth blood and water. Another miracle at Calvary, not in that the blood and the water issued forth separately from his side, for that would happen in a dead body. We'd expect that to happen where the, the plasma and the clear fluids are not mixed by a beating heart. But the miracle is in this. It's in the fact that John observed it, and by divine inspiration he recorded it centuries before the medical significance of the observation was even understood. Forget any of these blasphemous notions of our day that Jesus had not actually died. Erase any thought that he had merely lapsed into some kind of a comatose state from which he would later revive. Ignore modern speculation about his revival from such a coma being misinterpreted then as resurrection from the dead. Jesus had truly died. The miracle of Calvary the blood and the water separately issuing forth from his pierced side irrefutably proves it. God's son had died. One last miracle of Calvary, the greatest of all, in this dying body of divinity and in its divine and suffering soul, the sins of all of mankind from the earth's first day to its last day were converging. At that moment in time that our Lord Jesus was upon the cross, the sins and the totality of man's sins from all of mankind, yours, mine, and those of everyone who's ever lived and will live, were all converging with their damning power upon Jesus and the cross 
and the undiluted wrath of a sin-hating father, a holy God, also then was coming upon his sin-filled son. And the darkness of our eternal death consumes and hides him. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the most despondent cry ever uttered must have ricocheted from star to star throughout the vastness of space as the Son looks for the Father, but the Father is nowhere to be found. He wears our sins, and he bears our condemnation all alone. He experiences the greatest terrors of the deepest depths of hell to free us from them. And when that miracle is finished, when it's completed, then he knows the presence of his Father again. Then he gives up his breath, his spirit, and he dies. That's the greatest miracle of Calvary. Indeed, it's the greatest miracle of all. For here on the cross of that first Good Friday, God died for you. No greater miracle than God dying for you. In somber song, we now move from his cross to his tomb. And then in silence, we leave this room. The day of his death soon ends, but our sin died with him, and the morning will dawn, and the sun will rise. In Jesus' name, amen.
It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and a righteous man, who had not consented to their purpose indeed, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever yet been laid.
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 